more open up to, to listening. Um, that's that's the main thing: listening to understand instead of listening to respond. Oh, you just said something that made my heart really happy. Happy listening to understand, not to respond. Yeah. We're back. I'm Amanda Bender, the founder of Kilo, here with Alexander Yusuf, the founder and CEO of Inflow Music. I'm so excited we're chatting again. So let's start off. I want to hear about you. Like, you know, what's going on with you? What's your story? How did you come up with Inflow Music? Cool. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning of my life. Now I'll try to keep it short, but um, I am a Eritrean American. Immigrant. I was actually born in Ethiopia, moved out here like 1999, and uh, lived in Dallas ever since. Uh, recently just moved to uh, LA, though. I'm out here in Culver City. Um, but, you know, my whole life, you know, I played sports. Um, I went to Texas Tech, and really where my professional career got started was when I found economics, completely like, you know, got enamored in, um, and everything. That was really the only subject that like really stuck out to me, and I really um, gravitated towards to in college and around the same time uh, i found out about cryptocurrency which will lead to you know what i'm doing with inflow and so I'll, we'll get back to that um but really my whole professional career has been in the um tech space so i, I worked as a business development professional for companies like splunk app dynamics um so you know in the application performance monitoring space and then also gitlab uh doing software development life cycles and really just talking to CIOs, IT directors on how to make their lives easier, how to make their teams more efficient. And so um that was kind of my nine to five, right? But you know, after that, like my five to nine, basically me and my buddy um Josh Hunt, shout out to him and the people at Bolt, we started to um we started to manage a recording studio at first, right? And so that was bringing in talent, helping them with the business side of things, um, or uh, yeah, recording studio. And so from there, it quickly gravitated towards, or uh, graduated towards uh, managing an R&B artist in the area, which got us like a lot of, an ex of experience just in the entertainment world, um, advertising, partnerships, uh, which is you know a space that we've always like wanted to work in in the music industry. And so that quickly graduated towards um, artist consulting in the Dallas area, to where we were actually putting together consulting packages for artists that didn't have a lot of infrastructure, but, you know, they had a following. So, you know, we put together kind of like a la carte pricing, we like to call it for artists. So say you need a marketing strategy, a social media strategy, um, you know, any legal work and music video or studio time, we kind of pick and pay as you go, put these packages together for people. And so, um, and, and, you know, we still kind of do that. Um, the team out in Dallas is still doing that. Um, and so check them out at ETA Bolt. Um, but, to inflow, right? Um, going back to college, one of the first like crypto um, currencies I discovered was, was Ethereum, and the use case was around um, was around Ujo Music, and that was the company. And so that was around actually putting your money into artists, right? And so which kind of has a similar feel of what I'm doing in inflow. And so I was like, okay, you know, there's a company that's working on this right now, so you know, they'll be developed. But turns out, you know, I got to do this on my own, and um, you know, the 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 space hasn't developed like quite as well as I thought it would. Uh, so that's why I'm doing it. So and the, really our main thing that we're trying to accomplish here is giving artists an, uh, a new revenue stream and then also 
fans, allowing fans to get rewarded or um, get reimbursed or ROI, whatever you want to call it, from supporting their favorite artists. And so the frustration of mine is like, let's say you find a coin like Ethereum or you say you find a low you know, penny stock, you get a return on investment from you know your support early on versus the artist. You know, people are spending their time, energy, and money already without any return on their investment. So that's kind of the problem that we're trying to solve, and we're doing that through data. And so how did you actually get interested in cryptocurrency? Was it a friend? Were you doing research? How did you find out about it? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you're familiar with Bovada, but it's a betting and sports betting website. I was trying to bet on an NFL game. Um, I forgot what game, but they said you needed Bitcoin or Ethereum, and I went to Coinbase. And I was like, what is this? And so I completely fell down that rabbit hole. It was like 2016. Um, I learned about like triple entry accounting as odd as that is, you know, being able to, to verify and cut middlemen out. And so, yeah. And yeah, tell me a little bit more for people that don't know what that is about. So Ethereum is basically, they call it Web 3.0, right? Consider and, and blockchain is really the, the technology behind that. Um, it's a trusted system to where you don't have to worry. Think of it as a huge um, Google spreadsheet, right? A general ledger to where everybody has, everything's accounted for. And so you can't change that. Um, it's immutable. Um, it's very secure. And, you know, it basically cuts off the middleman. Basically what the banks are doing right now, um, that is what blockchain is doing, cryptocurrency is doing. And Ethereum allows you to have things that are called decentralized applications that have no central point of failure. So things like, creating a whole new markets like, um, like I said, Ujo Music, uh, being able to, you know, put your contract on the blockchain or even having a crypto collectible tied to an artist, um, like a sports card, basically, or putting a painting online um, and dividing a Basquiat painting into a million pieces and everybody being able to have ownership. And so the use cases are endless, but um, thinking it, think of it as a way to, you know, cut out the middleman. Um, you said something that also perked up my ears. I'm a big fan of Basquiat's work. And how did you find out about Basquiat? <laughs> so believe it or not, man. So I started out um, just going to art galleries um, and people don't see, see me. I don't know. When you see me, I look like a jock, but I'm really into arts. I feel like every entrepreneur is a creative in a sense. So that's a, that's a whole other topic. But I started going to, um, you know, just art exhibits and being around the art scene in general in, in Dallas. And um, I, somebody told me to watch a documentary about a, a black artist, um, a black painter. And the story was, you know, amazing. You know, him um, just growing up in New York and in Brooklyn, I believe it was, and coming up and his origin story was was amazing to see. And so I um, completely fell you know, in love with the, with the art of things. Actually, on your shirt where above where it says Queen, the crown reminds me of something he often used in his artwork. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is uh, this is my homie's brand. It's called Palmer Studios. Um, and yeah, it's a, I added Dallas, look up Palmer. Um, and so he actually makes custom shirts, a lot of good content coming out. Wonderful. Yeah. So we're talking a little bit about being creative as an entrepreneur. So share with me what you find beautiful about being an entrepreneur. Yeah, so um, I said we're creatives, right? And that's you know every every business idea is a is a creation, is a um, something that is an imagination, and you have to work into bringing it to life. But what's really beautiful about the um, entrepreneur journey is really the pressure. That's what I 
that's why I really like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't see that point of view. And I think I've, I've heard people talk about it as well, too. But the pressure is really what makes things exciting. I am, you know, I'm, I played football and I, I was in sports. And so the competition, the pressure, the bright lights is something that always, like, makes me and other athletes rise up to the occasion. And that's, like, even the even the simple fact of, like, so at first I was kind of, kind of hesitant of, like, okay, do I tell do I launch? Do I go stealth mode? Do I tell people what I'm doing? Um, but in a sense, I was like, I need the pressure of like people knowing that you know I'm either gonna make it or fail. Like even the pressure of uh, my friends being able to talk shit about if I <laughs> could help a long way in my journey and is motivating as well too. So I think, um, yeah, the pressure is really something that I find beautiful in that. I do too. I mean, I I resonate very much with sharing Kilo publicly with people and, you know, putting it on LinkedIn and creating these different pieces of content for Kilo because then I'm like, oh, damn, it's out there now. People mm-hmm. know. And I have yeah. to, for myself, like that pressure is motivating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering, like, how, what was your preparation before those games when you were an athlete? Like, you have a lot of pressure there. Uh, what was your your mental preparation? Yeah, mental preparation um, is definitely knowing your assignment. So um, our coaches were very big on tests. As, as weird as that might sound, our, I was a defensive lineman. Uh, we would have like three tests a week, honestly, on either old existing, just on plays, right? Knowing the plays that you have to run. Um, so when you get into those game time scenarios, you know, where as it translates to when you're pitching those investors, you've gone over your pitch deck so much that it's second nature. It's the same way as if you're a defensive lineman, you know, if you see that guard go right and you see somebody pull around, you know, you know what play it is and you know how to react, you know where you where you need to be, how to position your body. And so it's preparation um, as far as technique as well too, uh, knowing your assignment and then just getting your headspace right as well. That's very important, whether it's, you know, the music that you're playing before um, and or, you know, a lot of people just have certain game day rituals. But me, I was very big on a game day or a game day uh, playlist and then I'm good to go. Okay, give me your top game day playlist songs. Top game day playlist songs. It have to be, I'll give you artists. Songs is kind of hard, but okay. I'm going to say... Uh, back in the day in high school, it was definitely Gucci Mane, and then I'm gonna have to go with uh, Waka Flocka too in the same category, and then third one. Let me pick a good one. Um, System of a Down. I don't know. Are you familiar with System of a Down? Yeah, I haven't heard that song in so long. Yeah, yes. they're, they're a, you know heavy metal rock band, but it, it really gets you in the mood. And there's something that you said, which I think is really important, is this idea of sports psychology. When I was getting ready to go to college, that's what I was interested in, working with athletes on their frame of mind, get them prepped and ready for performance, performing. Mm -hmm. And what you said is you did tests and you would practice over and over. And I think you said, like, visualize what you were going to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. And I 100% believe that translates into being an entrepreneur is practicing the pitches, thinking about and imagining what it will be like to be in front of investors or building your product, how many uh, awesome humans you want 
to be interacting with inflow music, for example. And I think that translates directly. And honestly, I'd never thought about it until now that it's actually a form of sports psychology and that being an entrepreneur is, is like a sport. We are running in a good way towards the finish line. And the more we practice, the more, you know, we hone those skills. Yeah, and the the visualization part you can you can't go anywhere without knowing what your destination looks like. You know, you gotta visualize um, yourself there before you could even get there. Like you gotta. Um, one quote was uh, I forgot who said it, but if you win, say you win a a lottery, or say you win a million dollars, you better hope that you're a millionaire before you win a million dollars. Meaning that like you better hope that you are prepared for what that brings and you know that's the thesis that that brings so when you are a millionaire you're not acting like a uh, somebody on minimum wage you got to prepare for you know that lifestyle and what that brings that's a whole another set of problems um you know just because you have a millionaire doesn't mean you're gonna think like a millionaire as well so mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that and so on the flip side what do you find ugly or hard about being an entrepreneur and how do you stay sane in all of that? Yeah. So one thing, um, I think recently what I'm coming, what I've just now realized is it's not that it's ugly or hard, but it's like something that is not gonna, I never thought, you know, I never really thought about is that nobody's gonna, um, love your project or have the same emotions about your project as you are. And so even as I'm trying to find a technical co-founder, I have to come with terms or, you know, anybody that comes on board, like no one's going to treat this as seriously as I am. And so that's an awakening to where, okay, like I can't, even though I'm trying to find a technical co-founder and CTL to, to deal with the technical problems. Um, cause that's not what I'm, you know, experienced and still like there's a level of, you know, care that I would give to those issues versus somebody else. And so that's something that was definitely an awakening. Um, especially when you talk about equity, and which is, you know, conversations that always come up versus like, you know, sweat equity and, and those things like it's a nuance between um, how much you care and versus how much somebody else's care. And rightfully so, because you came up with the, um, you know, you came up with the project, but at the same, in the same sense, it's like, you got to know, you got to, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that that was even going to be a problem, not a problem, but something that I had to watch out for. Um, but how I stay sane is I work out a lot, you know, stay active, stay healthy. Um, and that feeds into like your mind being in tip top shape. I think, you know, you can't have a strong mind, you know, without having a strong, uh, body as well too. You can't have, you know, cause not in the sense of like how much weight you lift, just like active and healthy. And, um, you know, those two things are, are connected, even though, um, you know, there is some separation between your body and your mind um, is really a holistic thing that feeds into, you know, your wellness. And so I also uh, talked to you about this cold showers. Uh, it's a thing of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that you're shocking your system and doing something hard. Same thing with working out. Like if you if you are doing something hard every single day, um, these problems, you know, like my thing is entrepreneurship is it's difficult in the sense of like it's new problems that I haven't really faced before, but it's not hard in the sense that like you're, 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 you're only battling yourself. Like, yeah, there's competition with companies, but you know, versus football or any other sport, you have to, 
not only worry about yourself, but a whole other person, whole other team on, on the other side of you. So um, keeping your mind right, journaling as well, too, is, is some things I like to do. Yeah, so three things I want to ask you from that is, so first, who taught you about physical wellness? And, and when did you learn about physical wellness? Hmm, so I want to say nobody really taught, I guess the coaches taught me about the importance of, you know, physical wellness. Um, but I don't think they, I think I taught myself about the importance of physical wellness. They taught me how to work out. They taught me how important working out is for your game. But really it was like after I played, after I was done, you know, playing sports, that's when I was like, okay, like I definitely feel different when I don't work out. You know, I feel, because I was, you know, for maybe more than 10 years of my life, I was working out like almost every single day, except for like maybe weekends, like from middle school to uh, first two years of college, I was working out. So like in a, in a competitive landscape. And so when you're, you're done with that, right. There's almost a shock that every athlete goes to is like, all right, what do I do next? Like, that's why, you know, I was also happy I found economics, but it's like, um, you got to learn this working out is important, but it's different for everybody else. You know, some people might be doing yoga. Some people might be, uh, you know, weightlifters. And so I think myself is, is who, you know, that's how I've really figured out the importance of, you know, mental and physical wellness. And what do you do? What do you do to, you know, in your workouts? And I'm interested. Yeah. So a lot of, I still kind of do the same things, you know, as I did in football, a lot of power cleans, a lot of sprints running. Uh, I, I take up boxing too. Boxing is a good way to, I don't like like long distance running. So boxing is really good cardio. Um, you know, power lifts for sure, box jumps. I try to mix it up, you know, as much, as much as I can I have a gym out here that like has a, like a wide range of, you know, toys. I like to call it like from tires to flips to sledgehammers to boxing bags. So I like to mix it up. I love good old sledgehammer on a tire. It's a great mm -hmm. way to get out like stress, get some good endorphins flowing in the body. Mm -hmm. I too played sports in high school and college and after college it was something I continued to do I, I ran for a while and then you know was introduced to uh hit workouts mm. and high intensity interval training for sure and sometimes people would ask me you know how do you move more days than not how do you work out more days than not and I would share well when I wake up, you know, or when I've set a, a calendar reminder, I don't actually have a conversation with myself of like, do I want to go or not? Mm -hmm. I just, I, I do it. I become very accountable to myself. And yeah. I think sometimes that's difficult for people. I'm wondering if you found that to be the case as well. Honestly, I look forward to working out. It's like a break. <laughs> I feel like that's... it's a break. Yeah. I feel like the gym is a break. It's a time. It's you know, it's a form of meditation. It's a little reset, and I I think working out is fun. So, um, but I did start doing uh, six a.m. workouts. I've done that for like, well, I mean, I I did that in sports, but like you know, without without a coach motivating you, it's kind of hard to do. So for the past two weeks, I've been doing six a.m. workouts. But like you know, going to the gym is I enjoy it. I feel like it's recess really. What, what, what did you run? I'm sorry? What did you run? You said you were running. Oh, 
Uh, well, I ran after college. Uh, when I was in college, yeah, I was on the crew team uh, one year, and then I went back to playing water polo for the last few years of college. Water polo is tough. That is, that's a sport. Right? I, I did that, um, like, leisurely, like, just at a friend's pool. I didn't know how hard it was. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed it. There's, you know, I grew up uh, in Hawaii and in California, and being in the water is something that's very integral to my wellness. Yeah. I mean, playing water polo is not quiet. There's a lot of punching and kicking and, and yelling, but that mixed with being in the water was somehow calming to me at, at certain points. Yeah. It's, yeah. And the same thing is like being out in nature um, is calming too. Like being out in the water, like when I threw discus, it was very calming because you're just out there in the field, right? And yeah, you're straining to get that throw right but it's still like it's almost like playing golf as well too any any activity where you're just outside and you're either sweating or you're just with the elements is, is always good i feel like and i think doing these hard things creates mental fortitude in a person mm -hmm. and it really translates well for me into entrepreneurship and having to put on that mental fortitude helmet sometimes like you said you're you're really going up against yourself a lot of the time and going back to the cold exposure, I find that doing that hard thing more days than not also helps me uh, create more mental fortitude. So how did you find out about that, and why did you start doing the cold showers? Yeah, so we after football, we would hop into a cold tub, right, just cause to stop the lactic acid from building up, stop from being sore, right? So I've been exposed to that, but I never really, that was never, that was just forced. Like we had to do that. But um, I just saw a YouTube video about it. I think it was Wim Hof. Have you heard of Wim Hof? I have. Yeah. The type people about Wim Hof, who is that? So he's a dude that jumps in ice cold water for fun. Um, and he he's very focused on breathing and really, all right. Didn't he like climb Mount Everest, like barefoot or something like that or something ridiculous? I don't know. He was a crazy dude, and he talks about the mental aspect of the things. And my friends really, they get annoyed at me because whenever I tell them, or whenever they complain about it being hot or cold, I'm just like, bro, it's mental, it's mental. Like, I, I, I tell them that. They, they get pissed with me about that. But he put me on into breathing techniques. Like, he has a YouTube breathing video, and then just uh, he talked about, he had a podcast with Joe Rogan about, um, you know, cold exposure. And they're talking about just cold showers as well, too. So that's how I learned about it at YouTube University. I like that YouTube university. Yeah, I learned about him a few years ago, and then I was actually in, in Amsterdam in 2019, and I just got really interested in understanding his story. And for people that don't know, actually, his wife had uh, severe mental illness and committed suicide, and he's really, really depressed, and he stumbled upon cold exposure. I don't remember exactly where he was. And he realized that it helped calm his symp sympathetic nervous system mm -hmm. and created this very, uh, I guess, overwhelming sense of not only energy, because, you know, when you do shock your body, you do increase blood flow and increases energy. And he realized that really worked for him and he wanted to share that with other people. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Powerful stuff. I saw uh, there's a bias documentary about him too. I'm, I think I watched that as well. 
I think I did too. Yeah, I do cold showers more days than not at the end of my shower. And some days, honestly, I'm like, ugh, don't want to do this. Like, and then I say, if you can't do this for 30 seconds or a minute, how are you going to, to do all the other hard things in your day that are much larger than this? Yeah, it's rare to see... Because girls, y'all like y'all showers steamy hot. Somebody, a friend of mine, we took a cold shower. I was actually proud because, like, it's you know, it's, it's something that it's not a stigma, but you know, it's, it's rare to see. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. I had this actually. You know, oftentimes people say they have some of their funniest or best thoughts in the shower. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, I was thinking about our biggest predators as humans, uh, and. Mm-hmm. We don't really have any, right? We're at the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about mental wellness and, and men's mental wellness. And I thought to myself, our biggest predator has become our own mind. Mm-hmm. We really have to work at saving off, you know, keeping that predator away with the different things that we do in our lives. Yeah, for sure. So uh, tell me a little bit more. Yeah, go ahead. Now I was just saying that there's this book um, called forgot um but it's 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 about the toltecs oh the mastery love so it was a book talking about uh the same thing a predator in your mind like all the negative thoughts are is a parasite that you have to hunt like you know they said basically all those negative thoughts are not you right and you have to work as much as so the, the more the more negative thoughts you have the more you have to work to to relinquish those negative thoughts and it's not just and also a book called letting go it talks about the same thing it's like you can't fight against it. You just got to let it go, put it to the side and like elevate to more positive thoughts because um, everybody has negative thoughts and not like even monks, you know, uh, they have, and the most enlightened people, they have negative thoughts, but they understand that it's not them. So they kind of elevate above that, which is important. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, you know, about this, like how do you relax in the midst of struggle while doing hard work? How do you do that? You know, I just put on some music. I feel like in the midst of hard work, how do I relax? Yeah, put on some music and get to it. I feel like um, I don't think anything is that hard. I think it's just something I have to figure, another thing I have to figure out. Like, okay, I have to make a prototype. How do I make this prototype? Like, okay, I put the pieces together, get on Google. So I feel like once you have done all those things, like taking those cold showers, working out, you know, meditating, maybe journaling, I think it's just putting action. Um, action kills all doubt. And so, um, and so I think, I think I thought I had that written on my board, but I don't, but action, yeah, literally just doing the work and simplifying it and making it as simple as possible to where you have literally a list of things that you are able to digest and do. Um, really takes all the it's hard out because as soon as you start doing it it's like okay it's, it's not that hard so i think action is the first step into uh doing that and me you know my my company's about music and i am in this for a reason i just put on some some music put the bass loud and, and get to it really and so tell me the last thing you said was about journaling how did you find journaling how do i find journaling um, I forgot what book it was. I'm sure, I think it was a, a 
book that just told me about writing your goals down. Oh, um, Think and Grow Rich. It talked about writing your goals down and like what you would do to um, to what would you what you would sacrifice to get those goals. And so, um, actually, and then now I try to make it a habit to write down. Uh, actually, no, my friend Josh. Uh, I know you're gonna watch this too. He uh, he told me about writing down. Uh, your goals and then things uh, you're grateful for uh, every single day too. So a lot of people have told me about that. So every day I write down 10 things that you're grateful for. Sometimes I try to do it at night, but mostly just in the mornings. Um, so just like different books, Think and Grow, which was a really good one. And yeah, everybody, every successful person journals, most successful, I'm not going to say every successful person, but it's like important to know, going back to visualizing your goal, write it down. Um, and being able, to, it helps with the visualization as well, too. I think journaling is really important, too. I do have a difficult time sitting down every day and writing, so mm -hmm. I tend to write notes to myself throughout the day on paper, uh, which I find really helpful, but not too often do I actually go back and reflect on them. Do you do that at all? Mm, not, not intentionally. Sometimes I'll just, like, flip back and... I'll be like, okay, what was I doing on this day? But unless it was like um, an actual page or an actual goal, now nah, my journaling, I've heard of people journaling about their day. I'm like, is that what you do? You like write out what happened in the day or, or, or stuff like that? Or are you journaling your goals? Because I just do my goals really. It's a mix. There are things that I want to get done in the day, and I write about how I want to do them. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I'll journal. It could be a mixture of quotes or an idea I had from something I was reading. And then sometimes it's just writing out what I did that day because I need some sort of, in a good way, um, brain dump. Yeah. You know, so right now, because we are still in our homes amidst COVID-19, I don't see as many people. Uh, and so instead of having a conversation face-to-face -face about, you know, hey, here's what I did today and talking about it with a friend, sometimes I write it down just to get it out of my mind um, and to create space for other things. Gotcha. Yeah, that's important. I'm a, I might start, I need to start doing that, honestly, because all I'm doing is writing down my goals, which is really powerful. So adding a, another layer might help. And then writing down my gratitude list. Um, if you don't write down your gratitude list, you should definitely do that. Start doing that. It's very powerful stuff. And even writing down, saying you're grateful for things that you don't even have yet um, is another way to really, you know, increase, like, your awareness into, like, the actions that you put in throughout the day because you're just going to make that, you're going to, you know, make that come to fruition. If you're already grateful for something that you don't have, you, you know, you're kind of putting yourself there again visualizing yourself there before you're you're already there yeah and then i'm grateful for you and that we're spending this time together i think that's also important is telling people yeah grateful for you too yeah i appreciate that so i know we had talked a little bit about wellness tell, tell me a little bit about how mental health and wellness has become a bigger topic in the black community yeah so um i think that I'm starting to see a lot more conversations about it. Um, even me myself, like I haven't. My view on like mental wellness and mental health is really just like this past year. That's when I really got into it. Like, um, even when I would hear stories about you know people being depressed or people having anxiety or, or let's say to people being depressed, for example, 
I would kind of like look at that and be like, okay, like let's take you to Africa and see how other people, you know, are living and maybe that'll fix your, you know, your depression when it's like, it's not that simple and it's like not as hard. It's not as easy as that, you know? And so, um, my, my views really just, just changed on that. And so, um, there's been, um, uprise or, you know, rise in consciousness overall, but specifically in the black community, we're starting to, uh, be more comfortable talking about mental health, going to therapists, um, and one thing that kind of I noticed, you know, like when I, I'm, I'm very big on books, right? And so as I start reading a lot of these, you know, old thought leaders, like, uh, let's say Earl Nightingale or Bob Proctor, um, or, you know, people in that lane, right? They haven't, there's rare that you come across somebody black has, is making books like that, like Thinking Real Rich. When I really thought about it, it's like, okay, like literally all our thought leaders um, have devoted their time to the civil rights movement, you know, like people like Malcolm X, like Martin Luther King, like think of, you know, MLK was focused on thriving instead of surviving, you know, not having to focus on the civil rights issues of, you know, his skin color, like, which is not our fault, which is something that we shouldn't have to be the ones fixing that. That's a whole nother topic. But um, think about, about all the civil rights leaders, Malcolm X, like I said, instead of focusing on civil rights movement focusing on you know the mental health movement the consciousness movement how far along you know how much more examples that we would have the world would have you know and so um i think there's a, definitely a shift happening and it's, it's really good to see and when you recognize that shift how did you get involved i know you said you read a couple books um but is there is there any other way you found yourself getting more involved in, in mental health awareness within your community? Yeah, definitely just opening up the dialogue. I think that's the first step, you know, having, being able to like have conversations with people, um, recommending books to people as I see fit. Like, you know, a lot of my homies are, um, you know, getting into the movements as well. You know, they're, they're all smart individuals, um, but recommending books that would, open them up to like new um you know like way uh, way of the superior man it's a really great book that I, you know i recommend to all my friends um and so starting the dialogue being open to uh criticism you know like whether it's a girl telling me about to toxic masculinity or um different stigmas in the community i'm open i'm more open up to, to listening um that's that's the main thing listening to understand instead of listening to respond Oh, you just said something that made my heart really happy, happy, listening to understand, not to respond. Yeah. We, talk a, we talk a lot about that in the therapeutic community about active listening mm -hmm. and how important that is to really listen to what the other person has to say before you either speak over them or to create that space in your mind where you know, I'm listening to every word that you have to say and I'm tracking with you and not going off into my own conversation about all the things I want to say and not actually absorbing and listening uh, to what you have to say. It makes my heart so happy that you said that. It's important. It's very important. And, and you know, you mentioned toxic masculinity. What does healthy masculinity look like for you? Um, I think healthy masculinity, I'm still, still trying to figure that out. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that even brought up the subject, but I know first we have to figure out 
what toxic masculinity is. Like we know what it is, right? But as a, on a case by case, on a, for an individual, you got to realize your toxic traits and then move to a space to where you're, you're using your masculinity for good, right? And so you are being that provider, you're not, you're being that protector, but you're also not taking advantage of that. You're not taking advantage of your strength or your position in society and making room for people of lesser, um, lesser, uh, you know, circumstances, right? Um, being able, yeah, just, I think it's really stepping into, um, or getting away actually from those stigmas of like, oh, you gotta be a macho man or you can't show emotions. Um, and I think it's a lot of people's infatuation with like being an alpha male, like, first of all, like if that's what you're concerned about, if whether you're an alpha male or not, then you have your answer if you're an alpha male or not. And so that's all I'm going to say about that. But, um, just being open to like first being a good, good human, that's like healthy masculinity, not getting, you know, not having this, this ego about yourself that blocks um you from being the best person possible and using because everybody has masculine and feminine energy right it's just how you use it um and some people have more than others for sure and it's you don't always have to be a, a male to have more masculine energy um so using your position in society um for good i think that's, that's healthy masculinity and not um not taking advantage of that not taking advantage of your your position in society I think that's really important. I, I'm not even sure I fully understand what an alpha male is either. I know society has shifted some of that definition over time, but I want, I just want more men to talk about healthy masculinity. Like you said, you know, being a provider, uh, supporting your community. How do you do those things? Uh, for sure. First is, you know, edifying putting people onto these topics. Um, and then it's like making sure I am uh, putting people in places or connecting people. I think that's, you gotta use your own skills. So I think I'm a great connector of people. Like I know, oh, this person's doing X, Y, and Z. So I know this other person that would be really good and, and, and connect with people. Um, but another way I'm just doing that in my community is, you know, standing up for, for people when you see they're being taken advantage of um, whether they're a male or a female, like being able to um, impose yourself in the most possible, in the most positive way possible. Um, and so a lot of, there's actually a TED talk that I saw and they measured, um, you know, they measured different characteristics of alpha males and like chimpanzees. And one of the characteristics that was like evident um, within the alpha male chimpanzees was they were, uh, they had a lot of empathy and then they were givers as well too. So that just kind of shows you that like our stigma was kind of off on that. And it takes a lot of empathy also to listen, to understand and not just to respond, really connecting with other people. And I think empathy is a really important topic as well. Mm -hmm. How did you learn about empathy uh, as a man? Um, I think I've, I heard um i think well i always knew about the word empathy versus sympathy but um like eq and emotional intelligence that's when i think we it was like i had an internship uh at splunk and um or what i think it was at dynamics oh at dynamics 
that was my first full-time job and we had a um like a course on eq and what empathy really means i've always heard it thrown around i know what empathy means but like the core of you know not only just like putting your place in putting yourself in somebody's shoes but feeling for them and you know like it was yourself um and just like being able to um genuinely care for somebody and put yourself to the side um in a healthy way and having high eq um people say well i don't know a couple of people told me that i have high eq but i don't really know what that means fully so mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's a nice compliment i think for me eq encompasses what you said earlier is being an active listener being empathetic and and putting yourself aside sometimes to help other people or understand their situation, even if it's different than your own. Yeah, for sure. And how important that can be. Yeah, not letting your own biases get in the, in the way of that, because yeah, that happens a lot. And how do you balance that with ego? I know that's something, you know, like, is ego always bad then? Yeah, so I was having this discussion with my friend. I think ego is not going to go anywhere anytime soon so that there is good ego and there is bad ego um i think so there is uh so the answer to the question um ego is not always bad um it can be bad more than you know it mostly is like a lot of times it is but i was reading this book and they're saying you know the most enlightened people have egos and that's completely fine it's just like how are you using it same way with um like masculinity right you got to use it for good um and your ego can't be built on tearing other people down and and a healthy ego looks like you know you having good self-love you having a good self-image um but also not using that to again affect your image of other people um i think i think that's when it gets really bad and and things like I've also heard the conversation of, you know, if I didn't have an ego, would I be successful in business, which is kind of like, it's kind of a conversation that I want to dive into a little bit deeper. I'm, I'm curious to like research about because um, I guess my ego is what has, that's what the competition comes from, I guess, or maybe that's when it comes like the thrive to do better. Maybe that's part of ego. Maybe that's just abundance mindset. I don't know, but you know, and also, different characteristics like my music interests, my investing interests and all that. Is that really encompassing my ego or is that my, you know, like how far does the ego go? I don't even think we have all the answers yet, but I do know that there's a healthy way to have ego. There's a healthy way to not have ego. And as long as you're not hurting other or putting down any other, anybody else, then you should be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The word ego to me, when I was, um, studying psychology in grad school and learning about the id ego and superego had a very different perspective than the way it's commonly used in society and has evolved. So it's something I'm interested in learning more about as well. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't always think it's a negative either. Yeah, it can be, right? Because, I mean, everybody has an ego. You're not going to get rid of it anytime soon from, from any human being. And, and also going back to like you can't ignore your instinctual desires or your instinctual reactions or your, your instinctual nature it's the same thing with going back to masculinity like you have a provider 
Um, just like how women have different characteristics, men have different characteristics of being a provider and protector and all that. And so to resist that is just going to do more harm than good is rather than resist it, like transform that into good, you know? Mm -hmm. And the question I always like to ask last <laughs> is how often do you think of death and your own mortality and does that influence your day to day in any way? Yeah, I think death and mortality so first i don't know I, I feel like um i've started to think about that less in like a negative way i really don't think about that in a negative way anymore i'm ready to go whenever no i'm kidding but um <laughs> i think uh mortality is a double-edged sword right like uh, i was talking to somebody about this it's like the fact that you know you're gonna die makes is kind of motivating right it's like okay like i got a certain amount of time to really get this stuff done and really build that legacy since it's all about it's all i'm interested in is building legacy for me and uh you know the people that come after me and impacting people um and so you have if if i have forever i don't think i would be motivated to build a legacy like as fast you know as, uh, with urgency right so and the good side mortality creates urgency but also um death uh or mortality also can create like on the opposite side, either laziness or not, or not like far sighted, right? So, you know, throw like that. So I'm trying to think of a good example. So say somebody is, oh, like, let's say somebody is always littering, right? Or always like treating the earth bad. And they're like, okay, I mean, I'm gonna die in, in a couple of years anyways. I'm, it's not like I'm gonna be able to notice the harms of climate change right that's the negative side of mortality like being being so um temporary minded you know even though this life is temporary having that perspective is, is kind of detrimental um so yeah it's a double-edged sword i think about it i mean i don't think about it too much um but i definitely don't have a negative view on death and i think it's part of life i think it's what makes your life you know better yeah i find that the awareness of death and my own mortality is actually a doorway to being very present and mm -hmm. very loving with the people around me. I think about, okay, if I only had a year to live, you know, sometimes my friends are, my friends think I'm strange in this way that I often think about mortality, but it really pushes me to think if I had a year left, would I do anything different? Would I wake up in the morning and would I do different things? Would I uh, see my friends more and my family more? How would I interact with the people I work with? And I really try to do all of those things on a daily basis. So tell people I'm grateful for them, that I love them, uh, you know, and, and tell people that they mean a lot to me in my life if they do. Even if I work with them, you know, I'm very grateful for the uh, the things people do in my life, how they support me, and I want people to know that because when I do die, I obviously I'll be dead, so I won't be thinking back. But I don't want to have regrets and think, oh, I lived my life, and now I have all these things I wish I would have said to somebody. So would you? That's great. That's that's actually really great, especially telling people you love them. Right? That's important. But would you want to know when you would like you're you're gonna die? Would you ever want to know that? I've thought about this. I don't know. I would not, you? 
<laughs> I definitely <laughs> don't tell me. I, I feel like I'm also desensitized to. I've been in a lot of situations where death was a possibility, so I think it's kind of desensitized me. Um, so that's kind of my viewpoint on that. So, but I definitely wouldn't want to know. I keep it a surprise. Well, it's going to be a surprise either way, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unless we have that magic, uh, that magic ball at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to pick that ball. <laughs> Me neither. We'll be on the same page there. So yeah. tell people, Alexander, how they can find you. Yeah, find me. You can find me on Instagram um, or if you're an investor, definitely just email me. That's the best way to get in contact with me. My email is alexander at inflowmusic.io. Um, that's my email. My uh, IG is alexander double underscore yo. So that's where you can find me. And also um, my website is inflowmusic.io. Awesome. And we will link to that in the show notes. Thank you, everyone. Uh, be well, wonderful humans, and mahalo. Peace. Thank you so much, Amanda. You're welcome. I also want to give a shout out to Startup Hut, who's working with Kilo to develop and produce this podcast. Startup Hut dedicates itself to democratizing access and eliminating geographical barriers to diverse community of like-minded founders, mentors, and investors dedicated to building successful startups. They organize live stream virtual pitch events and are building an online community of entrepreneurs that can leverage a network of investors, mentors, and partners, and access community perks and resources. If you're interested in pitching at one of their future pitch events or partnering with startup, please contact George, G-E-O-R-G-E, -E, at thestartuphut.com for more information. And you can find Kilo on your pocket computer or larger computer at www.kilo.app or on Insta at kilo.app. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Yeah.